Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. A very good evening, everybody. Welcome to the first serve, our final one here from the Coachella Valley, of course, Indian Wells, where I've been for the last uh, two editions. Our finals, of course, have come to a conclusion uh, today. So it is the very early hours of uh, Monday morning. A uh, couple of very, very strong coffees uh, just to get through the next uh, couple of hours. But what a delight once again it has been to come to this uh, part of the world. And Indian Wells, that, look, it rarely... Uh, disappoints. Uh, the weather uh, hasn't been probably the true Indian Wells weather that I've experienced in three uh, previous visits. It's actually rained here. I've actually seen rain for the first time, which is uh, quite extraordinary. Uh, we know the desert winds can really pick up and play havoc during matches, but like all the destinations on the tennis tour, they all have their unique environment. Players have got to adapt, and the good players find a way. The champions find a way to win in all sorts of conditions. But it is called um, hashtag tennis paradise for a reason, because for the majority, it is such a serene uh, setting uh, here in the desert. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair tonight. Always a delight to talk the world of tennis with you. Uh, every uh, Monday night, we're lucky to be able to do that across the entire SEN uh, radio network. If you're listening on the app tonight, online at sen.com.au. We always love you to be involved, and you can do that over the next uh, couple of hours if you want to talk some tennis at the pro level or at the amateur level, anything you're observing, anything you want to put on the agenda, uh, we'll flick between what's happening abroad and what's happening uh, back in, in Australia over the next uh, couple of hours. one uh, 736 736 or you can uh, send us a text on the temper text 0433 uh, mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. So if you prefer to text, would love your thoughts throughout the next couple of hours. But if you want to jump on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate, speak to Harcourts, your move, your hardcourts. Would love to hear your views over the next couple of hours. one 736 736 So we'll hear from the two Indian Wells winners in just a moment. Carlos Elcarez. I'm not sure how many more superlatives I can come up with for uh, Carlos. I'll, I'll give you some insights uh, very shortly. Uh, and I, I may say something you haven't heard, but I'm probably going to say a lot that uh, you're very familiar with. Uh, for those that have you know, watched him train up close, those who have watched him play a lot, uh, just the way he deals with everything. It is just quite unbelievable. And uh, back as world number one, uh, conquering the desert. He came in under a little bit of an injury cloud, uh, Carlos. And I mentioned on the show last week, having uh, watched him uh, practice, and then the way he dismantled Thanasi Kokonakis in the second round, which was his first round, having a buyer to start, it just got better and better and better. And uh, once again, you know, finding a way to get the better of Yannick Sinner in a, a big uh, semi-final. And today, just dismantling uh, Daniil Medvedev. So we'll listen to Carlos in just a moment. Uh, Lena Rybakina, uh, the Wimbledon champion of last year in that rematch of the Australian Open uh, final. 
It is beautiful, pure ball striking off the middle of the strings. We'll hear from uh, Lena very shortly. As we know, yesterday we had an Aussie winner in the doubles, uh, Matt Ebden. What a partnership he is creating with uh, the man who never looks like retiring, uh, Rohan Bapana, the uh, 43-year-old. Uh, these two have come together late in their careers. They both bring the experience, but as you know, with any... Uh, doubles combination. It takes just a little bit of time to gel, but we're not even at the end of March, and they've claimed uh, two big titles. They've made three finals, and for Matt to be um, a Masters 1000 champion, added on to being a Wimbledon champion, Australian Open mixed doubles uh, champion, you know, career high 39 in singles. It's a great resume that he'll look back on. I have caught up with Matt uh, yesterday. I'll play that chat very shortly after he was crowned the Indian Wells doubles champion with uh, Bopana. Uh, back home, of course, uh, Canberra on the uh, ITF uh, circuit. Um, a couple of big weeks in the nation's capital to round out the Australian Pro Tour before then all the Aussies who have been playing domestically since the Oz Open will then uh, take off around the globe. They've been playing, obviously, uh, Bernie to, uh, to Swan Hill for a couple of weeks and now the two weeks in Canberra. So Priscilla Hon... Uh, winning on the women's side will join us uh, very soon. Mark Polman's winning on the uh, men's side. After 9 o'clock tonight, I'm going to bring you a special chat with a lady who is extremely visible, but you mightn't know her entire role behind the scenes. I speak of Donna Kelso, the Australian from Sydney, 25 years as a WTA supervisor. Just think when we see the players coming out of the locker room and they've been sort of escorted down... Uh, to uh, you know the area where the players sort of just uh, mull for a few moments before they walk onto court. Donna's there uh, just with the walkie-talkie, just a nice calming voice, but she is putting it all together behind the scenes. Very popular uh, on the tour. Donna, I had a great catch-up with her over the weekend here at uh, Indian Wells, so I'll bring you that chat. Lockie Peel, of course, with our college segment. A couple of really good results for a couple of young Australians, a major upset over the weekend. And also Peter Luchak, uh, current coach of Alex Stemenor, who experienced uh, the college life, will uh, share his views with uh, Lockie a little bit uh, later on. So plenty to take in over the next couple of hours, including your calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 But let's start on the men's side with uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, today, I think we certainly expected... A, a much closer final, considering uh, that uh, Daniil Medvedev had won the last uh, 19 matches. He was looking magnificent. He had to really, you know, earn his spot in the final this week. Uh, rolled the ankle at one stage. Not a big fan of playing on the slower hard courts. Uh, he'd uh, come straight from the Middle East with that uh, little prep time uh, to uh, continue this winning streak. And Elkaraz, not for the first time, is certainly making some more senior members of the ATP uh, playing group look silly. And the only thing missing, and this will be at the end of what you hear from Carlos in just a moment, but obviously the only thing we're really missing is Alcaraz and Djokovic. I mean, you can only play who's in front of you. He's dismantling just about everyone else. This is what we want to see, though, is these two go head-to-head more. As we know, when Carlos won the US Open last year, there was no Novak. Novak wins the Australian Open with uh, the injured Alcaraz out. So it would be great to see these two play at tournaments more regularly. We know the COVID situation obviously has prevented Djokovic from uh, entering any tournaments here in the United States. But Carlos Alcaraz is as impressive as anyone we've seen. And we all know that, who follow 
professional tennis. His rise since we've been tracking him at uh, 14, 15 years of age to now become the world number one player at uh, 19, soon to turn 20, is just simply quite phenomenal. But when you go out and watch Carlos practice, there's those comparisons to you know Rafael Nadal and uh, what uh, what he does in terms of his uh, prep. There are so many similarities. I watch Carlos just stand there for you know a good 20 minutes and make every fan feel that important. Their moment with Carlos, there'll be moments that you know these fans cherish, whether they're getting a, a selfie, whether they're getting their uh, T-shirt or their tennis ball signed as an autograph, and just that, that smile and his ability to connect with people is as impressive as I've seen. He handles, obviously, the on-court. There's not a shot he can't play. It's phenomenal. The off-court with the fans and the media. It is just unbelievable. Let's have a listen to Carlos Elcaraz, the Indian Wells champion in the desert a little earlier today in straight sets over Daniil Medvedev. It feels amazing to leave the trophy here, to recover the number one. I would say this has been the perfect tournament. It was a goal for me, this uh, tournament that I really wanted to, to win. And uh, for, for me, it's... Uh, it's amazing. With your tennis overall, you're such a better player even than you were a year ago. What are you doing better with your tennis? I think my tennis didn't improve so much since last year. I improved a lot is to don't take the the pressure just to, to play relaxed. That's for me this the most important thing and that's why I saw a, a great level. Well, I feel like I have no pressure. I enjoy, I'm playing relaxed. I, I would say I improved that a lot and that's why I'm, I'm playing a great level. Looking from the outside, it looks like when you play, you have no doubt about your shots. Is it true? Are you completely confident in every time you hit the ball? It really looks like you have no doubts that what you're doing is the right thing to do. I have no doubts about, about my, my shots. I feel really comfortable on court. I really trust in, in every shot that I that I hit. Of course, as I said, that's why I play at a great level, because if I miss, I don't mind. I don't care about, about the miss. I'm just trying to hit 100% in, in every shot, having no doubts about, about the shot. Your entire match took one minute less than the first set of the women's final. Did you surprise yourself by quite how well you were able to play today, how dominant you were today? Or did you expect it to be like that? Honestly, I didn't expect that. I played a match, uh, a toughest match, but uh, yeah, I played perfect. Let's say I'd say before that against uh, Daniel, you have to to play your your best and tactic uh, at your best level as well. So against him, it's always a, a tactic match, and uh, I I did perfect today. That's why it was. It looks easy, but it, it wasn't. Carlos, uh, back at number one. How does that feel now to do it again? It feels great to to be back on on the number one. You know, of course, every player on the ATP wants to be number. One for me, it's a dream come true again. Obviously, being in front of such a great players like Noah, like the the, the top players, for me, it's uh, it's an amazing feeling. A lot of players can be nervous at biggest finals like Indian Wells, U.S. Open, but for you, it seems like you're very loose and relaxed. Is there a secret to that? I try to show that, but honestly, I, I, I was nervous. But this is something that I talk uh, with with my team, you know, to to show the, the opponent that I'm relaxed. That that I'm enjoying that the final, but of course it's, it's normal to, to have nerves and you have to handle that, you know, and all the best players in the world in that moment, they handle the, the, the nerves really, really well and play such a, a great level. That's what I try to, to do, but I, I was nervous. Carlos, well done. It's nearly a year since you played Novak Djokovic. You missed the Australian Open. 
he missed the US Open. Is that something that's missing for you at the moment and something you're very much looking forward to? Yes, of course. I mean, Novak is one of the best players in the world. That's obviously, you know, and I, I always say that if you want to be the best, you have to be the best. I really want you to play against Novak again. You know, uh, we, we miss him on tour and uh, hopefully to, to have him back very, very soon. But uh, yeah, of course, it's, uh, it, could be, it could be amazing to play, to play against him again. Well, I think we certainly all want to see that. No doubt about that. Alcaraz and uh, Djokovic to go head-to-head far more often. So Kokonakis, Greek Spore, Draper, Felix Auger-Eliassime, Yannick Sinner and Daniil Medvedev. All um, with a big tick for Carlos Alcaraz. He took them all in his scalps here at uh, Indian Wells. The uh, Sinner... Uh, match up again after their unbelievable US Open match, uh, what, five hours and 15 minutes uh, last year was much anticipated. And I think I can see the strides that Yannick Sinner has uh, continued to take, particularly under Darren Cale, as he's become more firmly entrenched as part of the uh, the coaching team. And there is still a gap between the pair, but you, you feel like you know Yannick um, is certainly making up a little bit more ground. And his forehand was just, you know, that dynamic at times, even, you know, as good a mover as Elkaraz, he, he couldn't get back if he was allowed to get onto that forehand. But this is the thing about uh, Elkaraz. He doesn't allow you a lot of time. And we know, I mean, the reaction time, when these type of players are going head-to-head, the rallies are just simply brutal. And you've got to be, you've got to be quick uh, to uh, get a ball back into play, but get an effective ball actually back into play into a, a dangerous area that you know really troubles uh, the opposition. It's, it's phenomenal, and his use of the drop shot, Elkaraz, is it is just absolutely uh, superb. So we always know Indian Wells, Miami is a double. It's a tough one to do back to back Masters at one thousands. But uh, Carlos Elkaraz led the buy in Miami a few days to uh, get uh, acclimatized to the more humid. Oppressive conditions of Florida, different courts, uh, different type of heat, and it wouldn't surprise any if he was able to go back-to-back. Alina Rybakina on the women's side, uh, terrific uh, to beat Fiontek. Certainly we know Iga wasn't uh, at her absolute best, wasn't feeling 100% in that semi-final still. Uh, Rybakina played uh, pure tennis. Uh, the ball striking, uh, just absolutely superb. We're not surprised by it. We saw it during the Australian Open. We saw it on the grass of Wimbledon last year where she got incredible value off her ground strokes. But today, a bit like all of us in life, isn't it? We, we don't want the old habits to creep back. But we're human, and as much as every day we're trying to be better, sometimes those old habits come back. For Arena Sabalenka today, it probably felt like a bit of a nightmare. Ten double faults in the opening set of tennis. So she went to the chair, and we know that she's not a poker face, Arena. It's all there to see. She wears her emotions on her sleeve. Went and had a break, and then the wind um, really picked up. And when it picks up on centre court, it's pretty tough, and you're already a set down. You've served ten double faults. You're not feeling uh, great about uh, life, as good a year as she's had and as good a career. Um, there's those doubts that no doubt would uh, creep in. And then Rebuckina went to work a much easier uh, second set. She's the quiet assassin. We know that uh, she didn't overly celebrate or didn't really celebrate when she won Wimbledon last year. She keeps things quite uh, close and uh, insular. But let's have a listen to uh, Rebuckina because she continues to add great titles to her uh, trophy cabinet. She's up to a career-high seven in the world and you feel like there's more and more uh, good tournament success to come. 
feels amazing. It, it's been uh, tough, but a really good uh, two weeks for me. What were we able to do today to beat her for the first time? Well, I think important was uh, the first set. We both had chances, but in the end it went my way. So I think it was uh, important uh, this first set. And then it was a bit easier to start the second with an early break. And then the conditions also changed a bit in the end of the second set. It uh, became very windy. So from one side it was difficult to play. But since I had this uh, advantage over the score, I think this was the, the difference today. She said that she started to get frustrated and fall into old habits, is the word that she used. I was wondering if you could feel that having played her in the past and then at the Australian Open, that she kind of reverted to more her old self at all? Uh, yes, of course, compared to the match in Australia, it was different, uh, especially this uh, first set, because she did a couple of double falls, uh, which gave me an advantage, but then I didn't take this opportunity from the first times and uh, yeah so of course I felt the difference because in Australia she served really well and the second serve was I think uh, same speed as the first one so kind of really aggressive here I had some chances in the third set and then I think in the second I started a bit more aggressive and I think it's also not easy after to find the rhythm if uh, we are both big servers and you a little bit down already in the score. How important was your second serve today because your first serve percentage wasn't probably as high as you wanted and she seemed to be doing pretty well when you were landing the first serve but the second serve she seemed to have a difficult time returning and you know how big was that shot for you today? Uh, yeah, the first serve was not working that well, how I wanted, of course, coming to this match. But on the second serve, I just tried to push more because I remember since Australia, she was putting a lot of pressure on the second serve. So this is something for me to improve also. And I think here, since the conditions a bit uh, slower, it was kind of easier to play the next shot. I tried to also change uh, the second serve. So... Yeah, I think it was also important in this match in the end. Stats mean much to you. There's one that uh, says you're the first uh, woman at this tournament to beat number one, number two in the same year. I didn't think about this, but good start. I don't know what to say, but I mean, when I come to play against uh, anyone, I try not to think about the ranking. I just want to do uh, my best and uh, yeah, in the end, uh, trying to win. Uh, missing my parents here because it will be nice for them to watch me live, especially winning the tournament because uh, they were in Australia and unfortunately I lost. So it will be nice to see them. But uh, I mean, I'm going to speak with them anyway now. So How will you celebrate tonight? Probably nothing special, uh, just because uh, tomorrow we have to leave already to Miami. So we will stay with the team in the house to to have just nice, nice dinner. And then we have to quickly pack and go ready to, to Miami. I don't know, maybe just some food which I usually don't eat uh, during the tournament, some sweets, some pizza, something like this, yeah. Whoever wins Indian Wells, we're gonna ask about sweeping both tournaments. So the, the idea of winning Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back, -back, what do you think of that? Is that an incredibly difficult feat to you? Is it something that, that you are going to gun for when you get there? Well, I will try to focus uh, just on every match uh, because I think that it's uh, really tough. I know Iga did this big respect because I think it's still a kind of long trip to Miami. It's completely different conditions. So I think that that's the goal in the end of the day. But uh, when I go on the court, when I'm already there, I'm just trying to practice and prepare for each match. In the past, have you found the conditions in Miami preferable 
to Indian Wells? I mean, obviously now you love the conditions here, but um, but yeah, just do you remember, do you like the conditions in Miami or no? Well, it depends because for now I didn't have good results there, I would say, but I mean, I didn't have also here, so who knows uh, when I get there, but it depends. I know that it can be very windy there, very humid, so for sure it's something to adapt and uh, yeah, I will see how it's going to go and hopefully I can adapt quickly. Yeah, certainly not an easy double to achieve, but uh, she is playing beautiful tennis at the moment. Uh, the world number seven at a career high ranking. Uh, the uh, beautiful, uh, striking uh, Elena Rybakina. Uh, striking tennis that when I close my eyes and just think how beautiful that ball is to watch that comes off her racket. I mean, she's got that you know tall stature presence in the court, very regal in a sense, and then she just obliterates the ball. <laughs> it, it, it comes on you so quickly. And that's why Igish Fiontek just can't get into any sort of rhythm because she's pushed back, she can't wind up, she can't dictate and take the ball early because that ball is skidding on you extremely quick, even off a slower hard court, um, as is the case here in Indian Wells. So we'll get a, a break away. We'll come back and have a listen to our very own Matthew Ebden, Australian Open, of course, uh, mixed doubles champion, Wimbledon champion, and now uh, winning, of course, what is uh, traditionally known around tennis circles as the uh, the fifth major here at uh, Indian Wells. We'll also catch up with Priscilla Hon and Mark Polman's on the way who won domestically. All that to come. Your calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Harcourt's open line. Temper text. You can send those through 0433 98111116. We'll be back with more of the first serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips with you on this Monday night, as we always are, talking the world of tennis right across the entire year. You can give us a call, one 736 736 on the Harcourts open line. Any of your tennis text thoughts, uh, thanks to Temper tonight, 0433981116. That is how you can communicate with us. We've uh, heard from the two singles winners, uh, Carlos Elcaraz uh, defeating Daniel Medvedev today in straight sets, and Alina Rybakina, of course, uh, winning in straight sets against uh, Arena Sabalenka. But there was some joy from an Aussie perspective uh, yesterday in the doubles. Uh, going back a couple of years ago, John Pierce was able to add uh, Indian Wells to his uh, CV. And uh, this time around, it was Matthew Ebden. Uh, what a 12 months uh, for Matty. Uh, Wimbledon champion. He became a dad. And he's now an Indian Wells uh, champion. He's had a decent singles career. You know, part of Australia's Davis Cup team, which uh, pushed all the way to the final uh, late last year. And uh, teaming up with Rohan Bapana, the uh, Indian. We caught up with Matt a week ago on the show, uh, whilst um, we were both in the same places to talk about the new partnership. At that stage, you're not thinking, OK, they're going to go on and actually win the title because they've got to knock out some pretty good uh, players. Well, they made it all the way through to the final and took out uh, the number one doubles pairing in Wesley Kuloff of the Netherlands and uh, Neil Skupski, who have been number one for the past uh, 12 months. They've been a terrific combination. But Ebden and Bopana, absolutely superb. And I caught up with Matt yesterday post uh, winning the doubles trophy here in Indian Wells. You know, we knew uh, sort of a week ago once we got past the first round into the quarterfinals, 
uh, we knew we're, we know we're one of the best teams. We want to be the best team. So we, we have to execute, we have to practice, train hard, we have to be smart, do all the right things, and then in the big moments, bring our best tennis. And that's what it took yesterday against Sokka That That was, you know, we, we had to save some break points, clutch the tiebreakers. Today, similar, save some break points, win, you know, get, get the breaks. And then also same super tie break, you know, those, those, that's where it's at. So against number one team, so on, on ranking. So I uh, couldn't be more happy to win my first Masters 1000. It's, uh, you know, it's why we're here. Obviously finals is nice, but it's, it's always much better to win. Um, uh, yeah, it's tough weeks for me. I'm away from my wife and little boy, my little baby boy. So yeah, every anything I can do to uh, cheer myself up each day, it's, it's, it definitely helps. So yeah, a win definitely helps and should should keep me going the next few days and into Miami and then um, they'll be with me after that but yeah it's uh it's been uh, an amazing start I guess it's our first Masters together and straight to the title so couldn't ask for more than that and you mentioned in the press conference execution and, and you can see that I mean two experienced guys that have come together but been able to execute when it really counts and you talk about Bob's of these big serve when it counts your ability just to read the play at the net, your skill, your agility, that deft touch. This comes about even at two guys who are experienced and been around a long time, still always working on that part to, to really make it on song. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, after January, our level wasn't that good. It, I mean, we, it was good enough. If we'd had a, you know, a little bit better draws, maybe we could have worked our way into it a bit. But uh, I was still a bit flat from the end of last year. I was really still trying to catch my breath. I only got home almost in December and... Mm. Davis Cup Finals, just the, you know, the biggest year of my life. We had had a baby, which was amazing. Won, a, won Wimbledon, final Australia, final Davis Cup, other titles here, there, and everywhere. So it was an incredible year, but a lot just to deal with. And yeah, it was maybe just a little flat in January. Would have been nice to have maybe you know a slightly easier draw here or there and get a win or two and find find your rhythm and do well in Aussie Open. But there wasn't to be, and uh, we really had to look hard at ourselves after after you know a couple of losses and. And uh, it took three weeks, and I, I worked really hard on my serve. Obviously, you know, my return game, my movement, my volleys was really good, but I didn't serve as well as I needed. And uh, you know, I needed to serve bigger and uh, with the same accuracy and percentages that I've always had. But um, you know, with with Bob's, um, we, we figured I, I need to serve a little bigger, but still keep those same accuracy and, and spots. That's not easy, but it takes a lot of work. So I spent a few weeks working on my serve, and Bob's had to go away and work on his movement and his returns. Uh, his serve was there, but you know his, his movement and his returns probably wasn't quite up to world-class standard. And uh, we spoke together, knowing that I'm a, I'm a realist. Like I know what it takes. We've won slams and beaten the top teams. You both have to have everything. It's not like 20, 30 years ago where you know one one of you can have a no backhand return and a good forehand, and one one has an average serve. Like it just won't cut it anymore. You you really both need everything. So we both need great serves. We both need great returns. We both need great net play. We both need great movement both need good reading that's it's really what it takes to be the best now that the level in doubles has gone way way up as you see i mean sock isna felix and dennis chapeau in draw um and plus all the other top doubles teams and so yeah we, we took it on the chin and I'm, I'm really proud to say looking back that you know we got to rotterdam and us was serving way really really good serving lights out i think now these last six eight weeks i uh, made a, a slight little change with my serve and, and an improvement and that's uh kicked on and been sustainable for six eight weeks and, and moving forward now it gives me a lot of confidence i'm able to hit basically all my spots at, at bigger speeds but still with the same you know accuracy and percentages which is which is super key 
and I got to hand it to Bops at, at 42, 43. He's, he's got a full-time physio. Yeah, you know, something he had to give. And, and he, he's doing all the work every day. Can't, can't hand it to him. And, and he's improved his return as well. You know, he used to, he's always had the serve. Yeah. And, uh, but this last six, eight weeks, he, he's really improved uh, the return a lot and his movement a lot. And, that's, and I've improved my serve. So, so now, you know, we got kind of both got everything again at the highest, highest level. And um, it's paying off. So that's, that's where it's at, the execution and... That's uh, that's yeah. It's it's nice to feel like you're at the top of the game. I've got to say, it's great to watch. Yeah. It's a, a beautiful thing to add to the CV. Indian Wells on top of winning Wimbledon <laughs> and an Australian <laughs> Open mixed doubles, and I'm sure there's more to come. So, well done. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks. We'll keep working for it. Thank you. So that is the voice of Matthew Ebden, Indian Wells now on his uh, CV. It's always great to catch up with Matt because he takes you right inside. He's um, in a world and how it all comes together. He gives you absolutely fantastic uh, insights. Uh, great to catch up within the last uh, couple of weeks. And, you know, life has changed, becoming a dad and just focusing on uh, purely doubles. Uh, the great success with Max Purcell last year and now playing with Rohan Bapana, who looks like he can maybe play for another five to ten years. It is quite extraordinary. Uh, let's go to another Australian winner closer to home. As I mentioned off the top of the show, the Australian Pro Tour has been in full swing, of course, um, uh, pre-Australian Open and uh, post Australian Open and uh, returning to the winners list in Canberra at the uh, 60k ITF event yesterday was uh, Queenslander uh, Priscilla Hom who's been good enough to take uh, our call. Uh, Pri, welcome to the show and, and congrats. Uh, it's always always great to uh, win a title. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's obviously been a great week and I'm just super happy to obviously get the title at the end. No doubt. Um, just take us through the week. Obviously, I've been focused here at Indian Wells, but I've been watching quite a few of the uh, the matches uh, pre-live streamed and, you know, onto, uh, onto the clay, which, you know, is not everyone's uh, cup of tea in, in tennis. Uh, but take us through yeah. the week and because you've got to certainly earn your victories when you play on this surface. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I wasn't putting too much pressure on myself. I've had some shoulder issues. Uh, and so I had a cortisone just two weeks ago um, to try help it a little bit. And um, it's helped a little still there, but um, I went into the tournament without too many expectations. I was, um, you know, just trying to play each match as best as I could. And, you know, every single match, even though some of the score lines um, didn't seem too tough, I it was still still like two hour matches for two sets so every match is really tough and I'm just really happy I got there in the end No doubt, hey I just wanted to ask where you sort of think uh, you're at, I mean you know us on the other side of the uh, the net or you know sitting outside of uh, the four walls where you operate and you know hit so many balls, that's your that's your home that's your domain, we can become you know impatient at times, uh, when is a certain player going to rise and jump and and I think we all recognise, Priscilla, how tough this sport is, how small the margins are, how many things you need to be right to actually win tournaments, win uh, matches. It doesn't, it doesn't come easy out there. But your own, your own personal uh, journey, and like any sports person, it is full of ups and downs and times when yeah. you think, I love this sport. And there are other times I'm sure you probably, you know, you hate the sport. You want to sort of uh, be away from it. But just give us some insights into your own personal journey and just where you see things at at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, things have been going a lot slower than I would would have liked. Um, not going to lie, it's been very frustrating 
um, and like you said, it's very up and down in the sport, and it takes a takes a big mental toll, obviously. Um, and but at the end of the day, you're the only one that's like able to push yourself to get to where you want to be. And like I said, it's not where I want to be. I want to be obviously a lot higher um, at this stage of my life, but I'm trying to work through things obviously um the mental part is a big thing and i'm really yep. trying to work on that and hopefully that can take me to the next level and i can kind of get out of this little so, i guess 150 to 200 section and move up this year so when, when you say the mental side can you give our listeners a little insight into that i mean i've spoken to you know a lot of people uh, just in tennis about, you know, that self-belief, even just talking to, you know, Kim Burrell. I know all the Aussie girls are really tight, uh, yeah. Brie, and I, I'll be keen to ask you, you know, how you and the other playing group, the, the other members of the playing group have observed her month abroad and whether, you know, that gives some extra confidence that, hey, we're all really capable here. If we all push each other like the guys, who knows what we can achieve? Uh, you know, sky, yeah. uh, sky's the limit, really, in this really uh, competitive um, game. Is it, is it self-belief? Because everyone, to me, everyone strikes a pretty good ball. Uh, give us some insights into the mental yeah, side. I think, um, like, obviously, Kim's been doing amazing, and it's obviously it's great to see, and it definitely does push... All the other Aussie girls, I think, um, mm. gives us more belief. And I think uh, for Aussies especially, um, it is tough as well, you know, having to travel most of the year, not being able to be home. And so I feel like whenever we go overseas, if a year we know that we're going to be away for a long time, we don't get a home base, we can't just fly home. And, you know, in those trips, it gets a bit up and down. You get a bit you know, lonely at times. And yep. like you yep. said, it takes a lot of things to be right to get a win or win in the, or get a title, you know. So there's so many things that go into it. And obviously belief is a huge one. And I think, I don't know what it is, but I feel like with Aussies too, we, we are very humble, I don't know, people in general. Um, I think... Mm. Sometimes we almost put people too much on a pedestal, maybe. And I don't know, I think that's something we might all have in common. I know I do. I know I definitely know I put people on a pedestal too much and, you know, I bring myself down. So it's definitely for me, it's a big thing is belief. But I, I know I have the game there. I just need to be more consistent with it. Great insights. I'll never forget a match I saw you play the year I went to the French Open when Ash won it, and you played Madison Keys on one of the outside courts. And I sat yeah. right there courtside. I think you lost five and five. So the, you know, it wasn't much in it. And we no, know how. I lost in the third set, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because I um I um lost the first and then won the second set and then yes, the correct. Sorry. Yes. Light. Oh no, it's fine. I just remember this, obviously, because it definitely made an impression on me. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, I know I've, been, I've had some, you know, close matches with these top girls, and obviously mm. I beat Kvitova that time, no start of the year, yep. but just being able to hold it together for a whole match against, you know, a former Grand Slam champion, top 10 player, um, I know my game is there. It's just having to bring everything else to that level more consistently. 
No doubt. They well said. I, I just remember sitting there that day thinking, you, if you're matching Madison Keys, who's a fierce ball striker, I thought. No, I mean, you know, that it definitely yeah. it showed me the signs that you know you can you can beat anyone. Like uh, you know, having watched Kim over the last month, uh, take on some accomplished WTA players. Yeah, hey, sure. well done, well done on winning the title. It's, it is a long journey in tennis. You go on your own uh, personal journey. Uh, there's no comparisons to anyone else, and I think we all know yeah. there's some uh, real upside to what you can do. And I, I just simply wish you all the best because winning trophies is not easy and, and hopefully there's more uh, great things to come for you. Thank you so much. Priscilla Hon, to give us some insights there, a winner in Canberra over the weekend, the uh, 60k. On the other side of the break, we'll talk to Mark Polmans. He won the 25k in Canberra. That's coming up next on The First Serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips here in Indian Wells, where I've been for the last three weeks. We'll be back in the studio next week. AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, they're providing quality coach education right across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. You can inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. So Priscilla Honor, a winner on the women's side, the 60K in Canberra on the clay yesterday. On the men's side, it was a 25K tournament and the man who was victorious is my next guest. I speak of uh, Mark Polmans who was the number two seed in the nation's capital this week. Uh, Mark, uh, well done. The, the, as I said to Pre, the, the titles are, are tough to win on the tour. You cherish uh, these sort of victories. Hey Brett, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, it has been a fun week so far in Canberra um, and yeah, getting ready for the second one. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, always nice when I suppose tennis players can just stay in the one spot for uh, a couple of weeks, which is the way they've sort of set up uh, the Australian Pro Tour uh, through the back end of last year and, of course, the start of uh, this year. Mark, your first title for about four years. We know COVID interrupted tennis significantly, particularly for the Aussies. You also had you know, an injury layoff uh, off the tour for quite a number of months uh, last year. I mm. saw you in the gym there at the at the NTC trying to get yourself right and you, you came back at the back end mm. of last year and travelling to Asia, playing obviously some of the Australian Pro Tour events. So it's taken your time, mm. a bit like Alex Bolt, who was another victor on the weekend, just to find your feet again. But do you, do you feel like you're you know, back the last five, six months in that really good competition groove again? Yes, yeah, slowly getting back... Um slowly getting back to where I was um, right before I got the, the ankle injury. So, um, yeah, it's good to, to get a title um, on the board again, um, especially this early part of the season. Good confidence booster going into the European swing after here. Um, so, yeah, and a lot of other Aussies are doing well, like, like Bolsi getting the win overnight, Akira mm. making the final in Portugal. So it's, it's good all the Aussies have done, uh, you know, having a good start to the year. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm happy that my body's healthy again. No doubt. I mean, Mark, anyone who, who's followed your journey knows that you, you work as hard as anyone out there. I've watched your practice. You, you only have to watch your matches to know that you, you leave everything out there. And that's, that's a great Australian trait. We know that is part of the, uh, the Aussie uh, makeup. And, and you want to get some reward uh, for that effort. And as I was asking Pri, I mean, where do you see your own journey at the moment? Because this sport you have given so much to, hitting so many balls, trying to be 
the best version of yourself. Arguably, it's mm. you know the toughest sport to try and make it as uh, an individual. Uh, just give us a feel for where you think your own journey is at the moment. Yeah, but uh, I feel like I've been on the tour now for you know six, seven years already. So you now I've been on. It's been uh, quite a, a long road so far. Um, I'm still hoping to play obviously many more years in the singles tour. Hopefully, my, my body stays healthy. Um, but, you know, I'm still trying to reach that, that ultimate goal for me is, is still trying to reach the top 100 in the singles. You know, um, Maxi Purcell just reached that uh, recently, which is, which, has been, which is huge for him and, and great for all us other Aussies to see. So that's, that, that's still my, my main objective at the moment. Um, I'm hoping this year to try get my ranking, you know, back into the top 200 where I was when I got my injury. Um, and, and, and hopefully have a full 12 months on the, on the tour. That, 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 that's the goal. Um, so uh, yeah, and hopefully play all the Grand Slams. I missed out on all of them last year, apart from the Aussie Open. Um, yep. And 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 uh, yeah, I just want to get back to playing the Grand Slams again. Mm. So, Mark, what what can give you that edge to go to the next level? Do you think? Because when I, when I look at your game, you've got all mm. the 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 bases there, the fundamentals are there. You know, your ability to hit a lot of balls, to to you know show all the endurance that you need. I mean, you can you can go and go and go and go, and you, you often your score lines. You know, you play long matches. Uh, you're very tough to beat. But what mm. can what can give you the edge? Do you think to go to that next level? Oh, I, I think. Um... I think the the top hundred level, Brett, is, is, is very you know it's very similar to the to the challenges. You know, we we, we play a lot of top hundred guys in the challenges, um, but I just think you have to be really consistent. I think you yep. you know uh, I've had a, a couple of good results at challenges over the last couple of years, but just not enough consistent results to to to, to get enough ranking points to get inside the top hundred. Um, uh, I think that's the, the, my biggest challenge is, try, is trying to have a couple, four, five, maybe good results and challenges. Apart from just two, three, which I've had in, in the past um, over the over the course of the year. Um, so I think my level of my tennis is, is, is there. It, it, it's just uh, I need the consistency at, at challenges, and uh, I'm going to head to Europe um, shortly to to get back to the challenger level, where the where the points are are bigger compared to these futures here in, in Australia. But you know, I'm just using these as, using these as matches um, and making me uh, get a battle hardened for the for the upcoming upcoming challenges, Brett. That's the, that's the plan. Yep. Well said. I wish you well. Let's try and reconvene later in the year. Time's beating me here. I've got to get to a break. But, Mark, I just wanted to touch base. Well done on winning the title. I know you're putting your heart and soul into this career, and I hope you do get the rewards because you certainly deserve it. And I'll follow your journey this year, mate. Keep going well. Thank you very much, Brett. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Mark Polman's a good young man who's working his backside off to be the best that he can be. A quick break. We'll come back and wrap up the first hour. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Well, time has uh, certainly gotten away in the first hour, but the good part is in 2023, we've got a second hour. Donna Kelso to come, our full uh, college segment with uh, Lockie Pule. Uh, of course, Mark Polman's referenced Alex Bolt. Nice victory in Bakersfield. I think Rinky, Rinky Hijikata won that same title a year ago. He and Rowan Williams uh, teaming up together. Rowan as coach. He's gone, what, 26 and 10 since October last year, returning from seven months out from injury, 30 years of age, Bolt trying to get his ranking all the way back uh, towards the uh, the uh, one two five that he got to the highest 
uh, ranking that he got to in his uh, career. So we'll uh, talk about that and plenty of other things uh, coming up. Of course, uh, after uh, 9 o'clock, you can give us a call at 1300 736 736 or you can uh, send us a text at 0433981116. Make sure you're checking out thefirstserve.com.au. Always some great uh, feature articles on our website. Follow us on uh, social media, of course, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, where we're tracking the Aussies and all the global news uh, every uh, single day. Because as we've always said, this sport simply does not stop. There is no let-up if you love tennis, but we've got it all covered here on the first serve. And we've got one more hour to bring you on this Monday night. Stick around. Plenty to come after nine. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Great to have your company on The First Serve. Brett Phillips uh, on this uh, Monday night, one 736 736 Harcourt's open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourt's. You can always call uh, this show and talk the world of tennis, or you can send us a temper text, 0433981116. Consumer choice winner, temper. Their mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body, I must say, being away for the last uh, three weeks, every time I sleep in a hotel bed, I don't know, for some reason, uh, the pillows are just so much better than my own, so I'm going to get onto the temper uh, pillow when I uh, when I get home. Uh, just before we hear my chat with Donna Kelso, uh, players who haven't been at Indian Wells, of course, quickly off to Phoenix, the challenger in the last week, and off to Miami for the second big tournament. It's always a shame when two Aussies play each other in uh, qualifying. We saw it with the girls earlier today. The great run of uh, Kim Birrell. I've been catching up with Kim here in the desert. And uh, Pri, of course, uh, her time at Indian Wells. She's had a a great month abroad. But she plays Storm Sanders, or Storm Hunter, I should say, uh, today. And Stormy had the better of uh, Kim in in qualies. And, of course, she got that... um, uh, qualified into the qualifying, got the uh, the wild card is the word I was looking for, and we know that Storm's still capable of having a good singles career. So you're sort of barracking for for both there, and, and Storm got the better. There'll be quite a number of Aussies uh, early hours of tomorrow in the men's qualifying. Chris O'Connell, Rinky Hijikata, uh, Vukic, and Duckworth will play each other. There's another all Aussie matchup. Jordan Thompson and Thanasi Kokonakis will all play in the Miami Qualies. Uh, coming up tomorrow, so we will keep a very close eye on that. My next guest is extremely visible. I'm sure you've seen her on your TV screens. The players are about to make their way from the locker room onto court on the women's side, on the WTA. They're always more often than not escorted by Donna Kelso, who has had a long time in the game. And she's had some hairy moments too where she's had to come on court and just calm a few tempers across the journey. But she's been the WTA supervisor for the past 25 years. It's a huge role behind the scenes and she's my special guest in a catch-up feature chat here at Indian Wells. Combining my two passions from a very early age, uh, 
yeah, has resulted in now um, 25 years as WTA supervisor. Incredible. And started as a, a alliance person into being a, an international gold badge umpire. I was looking back at some footage that I'd forgotten about all those years ago and then into your role as a supervisor. And that's also grown into some other components, uh, which we'll uh, talk about. But how would you sum up your time in tennis, Donna? I started playing tennis um, actually quite by accident. Eight years old, I won a colouring in competition and first prize was a tennis racket. So because of that, I started tennis lessons. And the culture back then was when it rained, instead of uh, lessons being cancelled, we would go into the shed and learn the rules of tennis. At local tournaments, junior tournaments, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon comp, we would always be encouraged to umpire, you know, other matches within the tournament. So it was it was quite second nature. Uh, I tried out to become a ball girl, age 14, was unsuccessful. So then tried out to become a line umpire a couple of years later and was successful. And that was a program that initiated in, uh, in Sydney with the New South Wales Open where a lot of the students from Bill Gilmore's tennis school, Bill being the referee for the New South Wales Open, had a lot of the line umpires and the ball kids coming from his tennis schools. So that's how the officiating started. But we had a great group of uh, of young officials. We were all great mates. We used to travel around a lot together, would hang out together and socialise, as well as you know being serious when we were on court. And, uh, yeah, it, it was something fun uh, to do during school holidays. And then when I finished school, I went into the travel industry and would take my holidays then to to officiate. How do you think you go sitting in the chair in 2023? Just the game has continued to evolve, technology, and obviously now we see uh, electronic line calling brought into play. How would you fare being in the chair now, do you think? I think it's certainly changed a lot in the last 25 years, as you've mentioned, electronic line calling playing a massive part. Mm. For me, the key to officiating always comes down to what I call my three C's, and that is communication, consistency and common sense which I think can be applied to many things in life not only officiating but particularly to officiating and it's how you you work with the players to allow them to have the best possible experience on court during their match so in terms of being in the chair I never really experienced working with any electronic line calling Mm. however strangely enough even you know 25 years since I've done my last match I still find myself watching a match as if I was in the chair, checking the point loser, checking the receiver, noticing a stray ball, you know, in the corner of the court. So, yeah, it's quite interesting, the things that stay with you. A few lines, people that have, you know, lost a job. But I think technology is coming to sport in general. And if technology gets things 100% right, I think we we love that, even though there are some fans who who miss the human eye. How do you sort of look at it? Is it just a a natural sort of evolution, the way sport has gone? I think there are are pros and cons, uh, in every type of evolution. In terms of officiating and and the human beings that are involved, it is going to be challenging, I think, particularly for larger countries, Australia, for example, where being a line umpire at the Australian Open was an opportunity that a young up-and-coming line umpire official could aspire to, and now that opportunity is not there at the moment. So the big question is, where are we going to develop our next group of officials of chair umpires coming through. I think we may in the future see officials going straight into becoming a chair umpire and bypassing the line umpire role. However, not every tournament does have 
the capability and the finances to have electronic line calling. So there are still tour events, challenger events, pro tour events that will still need to have line umpires. In saying that, if we're losing opportunities for people to work as officials, there are increased opportunities to work in the technology side within the sport. So a little bit of swings and roundabout. On to your role, Donna, as a WTA supervisor. So you're, you're a very visible person. If, if people are watching tennis, they'll you know, see you escorting players. They'll see you sitting uh, courtside. They'll see you having to come on court at uh, various times if there's um, something that needs to be adjudicated. But people mightn't know the behind the scenes. So in just setting up this interview, you said, I'm writing some reports in my office. Take us inside the role because you are the primary liaison between players, tournament, the WTA tour, but what does it encompass? An awful lot is the, is the short answer to that. So yes, uh, the WTA supervisor is the primary on-site liaison between the players, the tour and the tournament. And we are also ultimately the final on-site authority when it comes to, to rules and procedures. So typically we will have our schedule a number of months in advance. We'll know which tournaments we're going to. Personally, I love going back to the same tournaments because I I almost feel a part of the tournament team as well as being part of the WTA family. Uh, And there's that continuity from, from year to year. So the supervisor will be in touch with the tournament staff for the months leading up to the event, planning the match schedule plan in conjunction with the tournament and with our broadcast. That is how many matches on each court, what time does play start, how many sessions do we have day, night, etc. And then anything pertaining to the tournament standards and procedures and setup as per WTA rules and regulations to make sure that anything perhaps recommended from the previous year by our on-site staff has in fact been able to be implemented. Oftentimes we have tournaments coming out with different experiences or uh, renovations, refurbishments, growth, etc. that then we take that information from the tournament and make that available to, to the relevant departments and then communicate that information to the athletes as well. We're responsible for making the tournament fact sheet, which is all the necessary information that players, PST, staff, etc., need to book their accommodation, their transport, visas, etc. So we're involved quite heavily in the pre-planning for tournaments. Then we'll come on site, normally get on site a day before qualifying sign-in have a tour around, make sure everything is as uh, set up as it should be, and then we get into the competition, making the draws, making the schedules, liaising with players, coaches, parents, broadcast sponsors, all of the WTA departments represented on site, which are the performance health team, the mental health team, our comms department, our IT department, our security staff. So the, the wonderful thing about this role is that it is so very, very diverse and we work with so many phenomenal people and that's just behind the scenes. It always fascinates me, Donna, people who aren't involved in tennis and they'll be trying to catch up with you that night. What time can we have dinner? Well, good luck. I know what time the day starts, but this sport, you have no idea when the day is actually going to end. That's right, Brett. You completely understand what that's like. Yeah, so over the years, I have become a little bit too uh, ambitious in trying to arrange to catch up with people, whether it's personally or whether it's with colleagues on site, because things can crop up 
any moment. So basically, I'm in tournament mode. As I say, when I walk out of my hotel room each morning, I'm you know put on my WTA face, and I'm I'm representing the organisation. I'm representing the sport. I'm representing you know women's sports and just focus on on work and any social plans might just have to uh, wait until after the tournament unless there is an opportune moment to uh, to catch up with friends and colleagues. How would you describe this sort of travelling roadshow that just pops into a place and then bumps out, bumps into the next place. Netflix has given us a, a bit of a behind the scenes with uh, Breakpoint. I think we can't wait to see the next instalment of what that looks like. And a lot of sports are doing that. And that's where we want to be, that behind the scenes to see how it all happens. How, how would you sort of describe what is such a huge global sport that has got bigger and bigger and bigger? You know, players popping up from countries that you've got to double check the abbreviated initials just to see where that country is. You're absolutely right. So we are a bit like a like a travelling roadshow as as you uh, alluded to. That's one of the, the benefits, one of the pluses of what we do is that every tournament we go to, no matter where, we're always going to be working with people we've already met. That's where, where our, as we say, our WTA family is on the road because a lot of the time we spend, you know, more days of the year with certain people we work with sometimes than what we might do at home but yes we do we bump in and bump out every week it depends on the role with our role as a supervisor we're typically coming in a day or two before the tournament and we are there right through until the very end and then wrapping up post event for me that's what I love is seeing an event through from start to finish we do have other staff that might come in for a little bit of time at the front end or a couple of days throughout the middle, depending on their their role in the event. But uh, for me, that's what I love is is being there from start to finish. Additionally, with the staff who travel globally throughout the year, every single tournament you go to, if you go back to, there are always going to be friends that you've made at that particular tournament. So that's the great thing is uh, you know knowing that you're going to be catching up with them at least once a year. I just wanted to ask you one about the WTA University, which fascinates me. You're the director of that, and I believe the real push behind actually starting this. So what is it exactly? WTA University is an online educational platform that uh, had planned to be started within the WTA early 2020. As we all know what happened in 2020 when COVID hit and we were all working from home, tournaments were suspended. So uh, I was was nominated uh, as the representative from our department, the on-site operations, to be on the committee, to the steering committee for the WTA University. Because I wasn't travelling, we had no tournaments, I, I really um, got engrossed in uh, putting it all together and, and managing it and then ended up being asked if I would, uh, would take on the leadership responsibility of WTA University which I did towards the end of of 2020 and it's basically overseeing and coordinating all of our departments who utilize the online platform for educational purposes so we're providing education for staff for onboarding for our um, medical departments whether it's our tournament physicians or local massage therapists or obviously our um, you know highly qualified medical specialists yep. uh, education for officials education for tournaments particularly new tournaments that are coming on board so they have this central place to go to online to learn about what their role is within the WTA and what the requirements are for them to fulfil their roles. During COVID times, it proved highly beneficial because when we did come back to play, there were a lot of 
rules and procedures that were completely new for everybody to have to adhere to. So we made a number of courses and modules that were specific to COVID procedures and that's where I think it really highlighted the benefit of having an online platform and it has continued to grow from there. I felt for any sports tennis administrator during those two years that was it was hard work wasn't it I mean to just keep the tour going after it was suspended there for a period and then all the protocols that went with that that was that was not an easy time. It certainly wasn't and it was uh, I mean here at this event three years ago that tennis shut down globally when we did come back to play like you said we were under strict protocols many many tournaments tournaments were operating within a bubble so you could only go from you know hotel to site hotel to site wearing a mask doing COVID tests every single day how do we deal with somebody who does test positive so so many different scenarios and therefore lots of rules and procedures and education associated with that so thankfully hopefully we are uh, on the other side of all of that right now and and can move on with the sport that we love. Absolutely. Uh, and the future of the, the WTA, I mean, it's such a strong entity and there's the ATP, there's the WTA, there's the four Grand Slams, there's the ITF. It's a, it's a fascinating sort of model in governing a sport. Not that I'm asking you to talk about that specifically, but the WTA and its and its future growth, Donna, and where you sort of see it going. There have been some, uh, some interesting developments just announced over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, 2023 is the 50th anniversary of the WTA so we've got some phenomenal celebrations planned for later in the year to celebrate 50 years of the WTA. We are looking to to restructure our tournaments overall. Some tournaments will uh, elevate to higher status so that is all in the works. A little bit of a new look calendar starting in 2024. And then obviously the the recent announcement of partnership with uh, with CVC, investing money into our sport. And then uh, the other thing is the Netflix breakpoint, as you also mentioned, hopefully providing more behind the scenes glimpses to the general public in an attempt to uh, to attract more eyeballs and more fans to the sport. I know you've been very passionate about the female space. We talk about it a fair bit on the first serve and I know Tennis Australia has done you know, a lot of work in that space uh, in trying to develop more players in the pathway, more female coaches. I mean, there are so many ways to get involved in tennis, aren't there? And even if you don't make it at the absolute top level, if you've got a love for tennis, there can be a role there in some way, shape or form. We always call it the the game for life, really. It certainly is. Tennis is definitely a game for life. And I think there are so many more opportunities to work within the sport because we know that not everybody who plays is going to ultimately end up playing professionally. But if you do have another passion in addition to the sport, you can certainly combine it and there are so many roles particularly in this day and age whether it be on the medical side of things as a physio as a a personal trainer in the media broadcast space for you know commentators for uh, social media that space has certainly grown significantly in in recent years whether it's being an official whether it's looking into uh, administration or player services or working with tournaments I mean each tournament has a significant staff that works and many of them especially the larger tournaments their staff work year round to put on that event for one or two weeks a year so there are just so many opportunities particularly for females to work within the sport and not necessarily be playing it. We're in tennis paradise it's hard to beat 
this place. It keeps drawing me back. But if you've got a number one, if you've got a number one destination or even a maybe a top three or four <laughs> where you just love going to. Indian Wells is certainly right up there. I've had the pleasure of, uh, of being here for way too many years to remember. <laughs> I think it's about 34 or 35 since I first came here as a, a chair umpire. And there's certainly something magical and something serene about being in the desert surrounded by snow-capped mountains um, but it's also the facility and it's the organisation it's the people that make this one of the the most special events for me Dubai is another favourite phenomenal event great city great people and that's uh, yeah that's one of my personal favourites the Grand Slams all have their own you know different things to to offer then in terms of WTA events we've certainly got tournaments in phenomenal cities around the globe. Everyone tells me, Donna, I've got to get to Charleston. I've only ever been there once and and that was during COVID. So I was in a bubble going from the site to the hotel and really didn't get to experience the uh, the phenomenal southern hospitality and charm of the city. Definitely would recommend that based on what I've been told as well. One last one for you. Is there a player that you miss on tour that you just loved who was great to deal with? Because the players obviously across your long journey come and go. Some have longer careers and Others, some have legendary careers. It's a tough sport to um, to make it. But you know, I was watching a little video of you the other day. I think Maria Sharapova was you know paying a little uh, tribute uh, to you on tour. But I'm sure there's some over the years that you miss seeing from sort of tournament to tournament. There are. I mean, one of the the great things about our job is that we work very closely with the athletes, and we do form wonderful professional relationships. And having been around as long as I have now 25 years with the WTA pretty much every single player who is now playing on the WTA tour I have known since they started their journey within the tour you know one thing mentoring or talking to to new officials or to to new staff members um, and something that I'm always a big advocate of is to to treat the same because you're qualifying wild card one day might end up as world number one and that certainly happened in my experience. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, be the referee at a pro tour event in Australia when a certain uh, Ash Barty, age 14, played uh, one of her first ever professional events and uh, so I was able to witness firsthand her her journey, her ups and downs and um, you know ultimately be there at the end when she uh, claimed the Australian Open and uh, then subsequently we saw her uh, leave the sport for uh, for greater things. Yeah, I think collectively we all miss Ash. We dream. <laughs> One day she might change her mind. I can't see it happening. I think everyone's in agreement with that, but we're just going to take those good memories, Donna, because that game style is just, it sits in the back of my head. I mean, it was just beautiful. Absolutely. No, phenomenal person, phenomenal human being and and great player as well. So uh, I think I would be speaking for many, many people by saying that we do miss Ash on the tour, on court very much, but she's still involved. So that's the great thing. Indeed. I'll sneak in one last one because I actually lost my wallet coming to America this time around. It has been found uh, back in Melbourne, which is magnificent. But when you go home, do you feel... When you haven't got your walkie-talkie on you, do you feel like you're really missing something? Yes, strangely enough, I do. It's like, where's my credential? Where's my walkie-talkie? And I feel quite naked without, you know, 
wearing a credential around my neck and I, I go to pick up my walkie-talkie. So, yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one that does things like that. Hey, pleasure to speak to you. You've always got a smile on your face. I suppose you're that nice sort of calming influence for the players as the butterflies are going through their stomach about to walk on court and you can just sort of be there chatting away. And well done to everything you do. Uh, it's a huge role behind the scenes that um, I think maybe Netflix should do an episode just on the supervisor role, though. It'd be great. But really, pre- really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. It's been an honour. Great to catch up with Donna Kelso. She is terrific. Uh, that is a long overdue interview. I've run into her so many times saying, Donna, I've got to get you on the first serve. And yeah, it's a huge role uh, behind the scenes. Uh, Yonex, of course, you can check out their new seventh generation racket. It's a masterpiece of technology and crafter combining precise spin and remarkable control, a work of art at yonex.com. Make sure you take a look at that. Our college segment with uh, Lockie Peel coming up very shortly. I'll get to a couple of your uh, temper texts. You can certainly give us a call, one 736 736 Another Monday night edition of the first serve with more to come. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Brett Phillips with you, our final show here from Indian Wells before jetting back to Melbourne. Uh, of course, tomorrow, I just want off the text here, Brett, Australia have seven teams currently competing at the World Team Championships on the World Masters Tour in Turkey, wishing uh, them good luck this week and in the individual championships that follow the team's event. Thank you for that. Let's keep across uh, that. And also... Uh, our top Australian juniors uh, representing Australia in Malaysia uh, this coming week. Our top 14 and under junior tennis players are travelling to compete uh, from uh, today. Australia will field teams of three girls and three boys who will be looking to qualify for the finals in the Czech Republic in uh, August. So we'll certainly follow that up on the show next week. Uh, Mark is in uh, Quakers Hill, which is in Sydney. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, BP. Good to uh, hear the show again, and you're doing a fine job as always. Hope the weather's not too hot for you there in uh, Indian Wells. Been a bit cooler, uh, Mark. Uh, well, it's, it's cool at night. Let me tell you, the desert is cool at night, but uh, it's been more cloudier, and uh, we've seen raindrops here for the very first time. So even in tennis paradise, it can sometimes go a little pear-shaped, particularly if the wind picks up here in the desert. Uh, boy, oh boy, does that come through. But uh, what, <laughs> what do you got for us? Well, we had the hottest March day we've ever had here in Sydney over the weekend. It was 37, so I know what the heat's like. But um, I was interested in uh, hearing your chat with Donna, I believe, Donna Kelso, a big lady was called. Very informative. I like it. And um, it got me thinking about physical conditioning of players these days. Now, being an avid Swans fan as I am, it was good to see them get a win over the weekend. But analytics is all the thing in um, various forms of uh, sport like AFL these days. And I wondered... What's your opinion on like physical conditioning and analytics they do with players compared now compared to say back during the eighties with people like McEnroe and uh, Beyond Ball when they never really used to do it? And do you think it's a good thing these days, or do they overdo it to the detriment of player performance? It's a great point. In fact, I'll, I'll steer you to it. I'll, I'll play a little grab from uh, Mark Draper before the um, uh, the show is out because we do a separate podcast of this show called Crunching the Numbers, uh, which is. Uh, brilliant that I recommend you have a, a listen to. I mean, uh, data analytics now is is massive. Physical conditioning in tennis. I've never seen the game more physical now. I mean, it's not just about 
uh, hitting tennis balls. We know, you know, in lots of sports, uh, Mark, I mean, you know, obviously there's so many staff now around an athlete in terms of, uh, you know, not only working on the technical and the tactical, yep. but it's about the conditioning, the loads, uh, you know, uh, measuring performance, uh, measuring, um, you know, <laughs> just how you, uh, what ground you track uh, during a match. I mean, there's so much data now that's available uh, that, you know, can give you the edge, uh, certainly in a sport yep. uh, like tennis. And if you're not, I tell you what, if you're not physically conditioned in tennis, you get found out extremely quickly. So I think it's gone up uh, gone up tenfold now and you get sort of uh, left behind. But, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's part of it now. I mean, uh, if, if you ever listen if you ever listen to our Crunching the Numbers podcast, Mark Draper, who coaches Rinky Hitchikata, will just give you, he'll give you a great insight into just the preparation now of an athlete to try and get out and actually win a tennis match, which is uh, more detailed than it ever has been before. Yep. And I've got to say, in my opinion, I think technology is a good thing. Not to the angle, shall we say, where human uh, officials are out of the game, because they can get into the game in other avenues, like technology, as Donna said. But also, mm. I think it's good with regard to ensuring the integrity of tennis is kept. Because one thing that really grinds my gears in soccer, and I'm yep. old school to me, it's always soccer, not football. But then mm. you had Seth Blatter for years not putting VAR in the game because he said it would take away from the human spirit of the game. And to me... That was just a comment where he was trying to cover his tail to disguise the corruption that him and other FIFA officials were involved in. Because if you remember when Australia was taking on Italy, I believe it was around 2000, the 2006 World Cup, and we were in the semi-final. Yep. If we won that match, we would have got through to the final. And an Italian player goes down like he's been clocked with a bag of bricks, you know. Tim Cahill tackled the guy, and the guy goes down like a ton of bricks. And it was an obviously um, fake move. He was just doing that to milk a penalty from the ref. The ref gives him the penalty. The guy converts mm. the penalty. But after mm -hmm. the game, the referee said, I should not have given that penalty. And then when the guy was interviewed a few months later after Italy won yep. the World Cup, he sort of gives a very inane grin and he, he gives a comment similar to, oh, it was the hand of God with Maradona, similar to that. The guy cheated blatantly. And it's like, yep. I think technology in uh, how uh, it's used now in soccer, it's good with regard to keeping the integrity of the game and getting the result honest and correct. And I think it's a good thing in tennis too. Good on you, Mark. I really appreciate your call. I think, look, for me, for a tennis point of view, it's a cleaner court. Uh, decision is final. Yes, there's still players who believe they want to see it. Come on, show me a replay. Uh, but they're not going to um, ever see the ball out because this is um, absolutely, you know, proof. Uh, it's 100% accurate, uh, we're told. Uh, so they're never going to look silly by showing a replay that the ball is actually missed. Otherwise, and that, otherwise it throws the whole technology out the window altogether. But I like it. It just keeps the game moving. Uh, I don't think we need to have, you know, long discussions about all this sort of stuff. I mean, the clay, it's different. Yes, the chair and pie still got to come down, inspect the line even though I think we could certainly sort that out and move the game a bit quicker. Mark, thank you. I think your dog might just need uh, a little top-up of some uh, late-night um, late biscuits uh, there. Uh, we'll take uh, a break. We'll come back on the other side. Lockie Pure with our college segment coming up next. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com, this is the first serve. Your home of tennis. 
Racing through a Monday night, Brett Phillips here in the desert, but I'm going to uh, do a little handball over to our man Lachlan Peel to bring us all the latest in the college action with the Aussies. Uh, Lockie, the floor is yours. Thanks, Brett. We have a big college wrap ahead as we catch up with a couple of our Aussies currently at college. Stephanie Webb, she's from Melbourne in her freshman year at UCF, the University of Central Florida, and Chen Dong, he's from Brisbane in his junior year at Louisiana State University, LSU. And of course, we watched Chen live in Baton Rouge as LSU took on second-ranked South Carolina on Friday. They played indoors, and Chen really had a big match ahead. He's unranked. He's been playing the majority of the season at number four. Uh, on Friday, he moved up to number two in the lineup. Uh, he was up against Connor Thompson. He's from Scotland. He's five in the country at the moment. And Chen, he's a smaller build, similar to the likes of Diego Schwartzman at 5'8". He was moving like a cat out there, chipping back Connor's big serve, neutralizing off the backhand wing and coming into the net when he needed to. Chen, uh, he dug out a 6-4, 2-6, win. And although the Gamecocks had secured a win overall, they finished all of their matches with the Gamecocks coming out on top 4-3 in what came out to be Chen's biggest win in his collegiate career. Chen, an unbelievable match yesterday against a great player who's uh, Connor Thompson being five in the country. Best win of your collegiate career. How does it feel? Felt good. You know, our team had a couple of losses um, to begin the SEC conference. But, you know, we've played a lot of tough teams. And I think it was important for me to just keep trying, keep competing and stuff. I feel like I got pretty lucky yesterday. You know, point penalty at the end of the third set. I played a part in uh, getting that last game. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good to get some confidence back. Hopefully I can get ranked after that win and maybe compete at the NCAA tournament. Auntie went down in the, in the second set. How do you come out of it and take that third? I just, you know, had to give myself the best chance. The mindset in the first and second was a bit different. I think uh, in the second, I wasn't as as present. I wasn't thinking patiently enough. I was just kind of like rushing through the games. You know, all it takes is just one point to get a break. Some death deuce. It's like a completely different match. Yeah, I just had to be a bit more patient in the third. That's the voice of Chen Dong. And we look forward to following Chen through the rest of the season. And we'll also have him on our Play USA podcast later this year. We also caught up with freshman Stephanie Webb, who actually took out the number one seat at the Australian Open Juniors earlier this year. Stephanie gives us an insight into her upcoming matches against Georgia Tech and Clemson. Finishing VCE, going straight into the spring season over at college at, at UCF. Uh, what has the transition been like going straight into the season off the bat? Well, I just want to say uh, thanks for having me first off. Yeah, so my college experience so far as a freshman uh, has been really hectic. Uh, when I first got here, it was like Jan 5th or something like that. And I was here for about two weeks and I had to try and settle in and finish a few last documents and get all my visa applications sorted and my residency. And yeah, so for me, everything kind of like hit straight away. And I was, you know, practicing within two days and I was almost into the natural flow of things by the first week. And I was just practicing every day and the first match was against Stetson, I believe, and it was around the 21st. I left here about two weeks in and I went back to Melbourne, obviously, for the Australian Open Juniors, uh, which was an unreal experience for me and I absolutely loved it. I came back here after about two weeks, got back into the swing of things and about three days after I landed, I was playing my first match against LSU I believe um, and yeah I mean for me it was quite tough I was 
put at the number two position kind of straight off the bat and for me yeah it was it was hard because I was still jet lagged I had just come off the plane my my legs were kind of still sloppy and I wasn't really I felt like I was physically on court but I wasn't really mentally on court I just had some other you know kind of family situations and issues going on off court and yeah I just kind of felt like I was put into the deep end um straight away and honestly like it was it was good but it was also kind of I don't think it was the best kind of option for me but yeah I mean I've settled into college life really well I love my team uh, they're really supportive of me and we're all kind of supportive of each other. And I just love being in a team environment. I mean, I the biggest team I've played in was about three three to four girls and that was representing Australia and representing Victoria. And for me now, like playing in a, a group of nine girls is something very different. It's something a lot bigger. And I guess you just, you don't play for yourself anymore and you play for something a lot bigger. Seven and seven for the season, Georgia Tech and Clemson next week. What are you expecting out of those matches? Believe we can beat Georgia Tech. I believe they're also a really good school. I think they got close with a couple of really good schools that they were really good and they're a top 10. I mean, yeah, Georgia Tech is going to be there to fight they're going to be there to win and I guess we just have to put on a, a good performance and try our best and fight for everything and yeah it is what it is at the end of the day and uh, hopefully we get two wins being away but yeah I mean we've had we've had an okay season um, I think it could have been better uh, we've got a lot to improve on as a team but I think we'll get there and yeah it's going to take time but we all remain optimistic and I think as long as we keep working hard then uh, the results will come. Thank you Stephanie and best of luck for the rest of the season. We turn over to former ATP player Peter Luchak who also went down the college pathway where he attended Fresno State before reaching a career high of 64 in the world back in 2009. We caught up with Peter while he was at Indian Wells coaching Alex Demonor. There are so many players on the ATP and WTA tour who went down the college pathway. If we look at uh, Indian Wells, 11 players in the men's singles main draw went to college, Rinki Hijikata, Alexander Vukic. Why did you choose the college pathway? And was it something that was sort of as popular as it is today? I don't know if it was quite as popular when I was going. Uh, it's over 20 years ago now when I went. I went in January of 98. To be honest, I, I wasn't one of the top juniors, so um, I wasn't one of the better players coming out of Australia. To be fair, I actually wanted to play Futures or Satellites back then, they were called, so I wanted to play Futures and Satellites. Yeah, that's what a lot of my mates were doing. Yeah, luckily for myself, my father said, Mate, you, uh, you're you not going to make it as a tennis player. you got to go get education. So, uh, yeah, my options were going to uni in Australia or going to college in the US. And, you know, I, I loved playing tennis. And I, I just knew my better chance of making it as a player was to go to the US where I got, you know, got that education. But they're just so professional over there. And, you know, I just had a chance to mature, improve my tennis. And for me, it was the best thing I ever did. And how do you think it prepared you for the ATP tour? I know you played in many Davis Cup ties. Do you feel like the sort of environment translated over to that? Looking back on my career, college tennis and Davis Cup were the funnest parts of my tennis career. You know, it's such an individual sport, tennis, so to get that opportunity to play and be part of a team was just fantastic. And college, it's really like a mini Davis Cup. You know, you have your teammates on the bench supporting you, especially if it comes down to that last match. You know, you have your coach there as well. He can, you know, give you advice and talk to you. Uh, the atmosphere is great. It's pretty one-sided, depending if you're playing home or away so 
you know, I love that environment. And yeah, Davis Cup is, is pretty similar. So, you know, looking back to my career, that well, was my favorite part of tennis. And as you were speaking about playing futures, you know, as a junior, we know that from Australia, you know, we're so far from the tour, you know, we've got to spend months at a time away from home. Whereas players in Europe, they can sort of just bounce back and forth as much as they want. They're just so close to everything. Do you feel like the college pathway is a great alternative to restrict those sort of travel barriers, the financial barriers? hundred uh, percent. I think the game just keeps evolving, keeps improving. And it's just so hard for like an 18 year old, unless you're one of the best of the best. It's so hard to compete with, you know, seasoned veterans out there. So it's such a physical sport these days. So when you're 17, 18, you've just finished high school, you know, you want to try to compete with these guys who've been out there for years, who, you know, 25, 26, sometimes 30 years old, still playing futures. It's, it's not easy. It's not an easy transition, um, especially when you're doing well in juniors, you've, you know, you've got a bit of confidence and then to start playing futures, it's, it's not always that easy. And, you know, the locations can be tough. As you say, coming from Australia can be really tough, especially if you don't come from a family which is wealthy. Um, you know, you might have to be on the road for, you know, six months at a time because it's just too expensive to uh, travel back and forth from Australia. And it's not for everyone. It's tough. Um, you know, I've coached a few players in the past who just they don't enjoy being away from home and it makes it really tough. So that college pathway, it's, it's great. you got your whole team around you. You've got coaches, so professional over there. And, you know, you, you got six months at a time where you got other things to do to keep your mind off losing. Uh, you know, you got uh, your classes to worry about. You know, you're enjoying your time with your team teammates and playing a bunch of matches and everything's done for you. you don't have to worry about flights you don't have to worry about accommodation everything's absolutely done for you so all you have to do is worry about hitting a tennis ball and you know doing your classes so i couldn't recommend it highly enough some great insights from peter on the benefits of going down the college pathway and just some results to finish up uh, our college wrap over to the women's side 12th ranked Tennessee defeated 8th-ranked Auburn 6-1. A big win there. Catherine Aulia, who was on our March edition of Play USA, defeated Florida's DJ Bennett 6-3, 6-2. That's a wrap for this week, BP. We look forward to bringing you the results, highlights, interviews, and much, much more next week. So be sure to follow us on our socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or visit our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Back to you, BP. Yeah, thank you, Lockie. Nice, uh, comprehensive uh, weekly college update. We'll come back after the break and wrap up the show with your text to round out the first serve for this week. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com, this is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve uh, Monday night edition here from Indian Wells on the uh, temper text uh, Brett, I've been in a tennis meeting, the irony. How good was Rebuckener this week? Women's game is uh, coming good. Another one here on Rebuckener. Thank you, Aaron, um, who's doing a beautiful job in uh, local tennis out there at Airport West. Uh, great to see Elena Rebuckener proving that you can absolutely hit the cover off the ball and win major titles without screaming or loud grunting, also enjoying her subdued celebration. So plenty liking her game. It is beautiful to watch up close. Uh, it is uh, a delightful ball striking. Seven in the world you expect she's going to climb uh, certainly a bit higher. I did see one uh, come through. Uh, where was it? Uh, just uh, here. Uh, here we go. Uh, Brett, to me, is it me or uh, is there a bit of bla a bad blood uh, coming into play on the WTA Tour? Recently lots of ladies aren't happy with each other and I heard the biggest pest is Ostapenko. Not popular at all on the women's tour. Yes, yeah, not 
overly popular. Yolanda just with some of her antics. I don't think she's too phased uh, by that. Uh, by the way, she doesn't mind being a little bit uh, prickly down uh, her end of the court. She's in an interesting situation because the, the Latvian government, I think, has taken away her funding uh, because she's playing at tournaments with Russian and Belarusian players. That has just surfaced uh, in the last uh, week. And you would have seen at this tournament, uh, Lucia Serenka, the former world number 23, was due to play Arena Sabalenka. I think that was in the second round. She pulled out at the time, uh, it was for personal reasons, but revealed a little bit uh, later on that she had a panic attack after chatting with the WTA CEO, Steve Simon, and there's a lot going on, obviously, with the war. I can tell you that's creating uh, certainly some uh, tension uh, in the locker room. Uh, Serenko revealing it came because she was absolutely shocked by uh, Simon's answers in their discussion about tennis's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She was talking on the Big Tennis Ukraine website. A few days ago, I had a conversation with our CEO, Steve Simon. I was absolutely shocked by what I heard. He told me that he himself does not support the war, but if the players from Russia and Belarus support it, then this is uh, only their own opinion and the opinion of other people should not upset me. At the same time, he noted that if this had happened to him and he had been in my place, he would have felt terrible. And, of course, Wimbledon appear set to... They're going to lift the ban on Russian and Belarusian players and the International Olympic Committee potentially heading in the same direction. So all that to play out. But I do know it has caused a little bit of uh, tension. Apart from this show, we have seven podcasts that you can listen to. There's a library of content here at the first serve. Our latest two to drop, uh, Crunching the Numbers with Mark Draper, the coach of Rinky Hinge Carter, of course, hosted by Stephen Huss and Chris Tons. Take a listen. It's uh, brilliant. And uh, Aussies Only uh, podcast with Darren Park and catching up with the highly respected Mark Safoulis. Great friend of this program, player turned coach, highly sought after as a coach educator. So they are dropping firstserve.com.au or subscribe. The Apple podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, and you'll find all our podcasts, including this show. Thanks for your company. I'll be back in the studio next week.